Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly web scene for the global church. I'm Debbie Thomas. My essay this week is called Just Wondering. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, April 26, 2015. I'll confess at the start, when I googled the lectionary readings for this week and realized I'd have to write an essay about the Good Shepherd, I cringed, turned off my computer, and went for a walk. If you grew up in the church, you might carry some shepherd baggage, too. Was Psalm 23 the first psalm you memorized as a child? Did you spend umpteen hours in Sunday school making sheep out of toothpicks, cotton balls, and Elmer's glue? Did your kids' choir sing, I just want to be a sheep, ba ba all the way through middle school? Did you spend any time in your church narthex after morning service, staring hungrily at a painting of Jesus wearing flowing robes, an adorable lamb perched on his shoulders, and wonder why God never sweeps down from the heavens to cuddle you? I find the Good Shepherd passages in John's Gospel difficult for two reasons. On the one hand, the metaphor is over-familiar, its beauty buried under so much saccharine piety and hallmark card sentiment, I can't approach it without rolling my eyes. On the other hand, I'm overly aware of the fact that I have no real-life idea what Jesus was actually talking about when he described himself in terms of shepherds, sheep, hirelings, and wolves. Jesus was an effective teacher because he used metaphors his audience could relate to. When he spoke of sheepfolds, vineyards, mustard seeds, and fishing nets, he was not spouting exotica. He was wielding the stuff of first-century peasant life. Me, though? I've never heard a sheep, met a shepherd, or fought a wolf in my life. I did grow up visiting my grandparents' farms in India, but I never saw my grandfather drape baby animals over his clean, robed shoulders. Most of the time, the animals on his farm stank. Often, at the end of a long day in their midst, so did he. How the church has gone from the mud-stained hardships of animal husbandry to a manicured Jesus cuddling a lily-white lamb is beyond me. So I come to this week's readings, jaded on the one hand, ignorant on the other, and struggle, struggle almost to the point of quitting. After days of reading and rereading, I have nothing conclusive or authoritative to say. No lessons, no applications, no morals. All I have are wonderings. Things I wonder about as I try to re-engage the Good Shepherd metaphor as best I can. I'm borrowing here from Godly Play, the Sunday school curriculum many churches, including my own, use to introduce young children to the Bible. In Godly Play, after children hear a Bible story, they're invited to wonder about it, to use their imaginations and respond freely to whatever the story evokes for them. The emphasis in Godly Play pedagogy is not on finding right answers, but on living creatively and faithfully with honest questions. Here, then, are my wonderings about Jesus, the Good Shepherd. I wonder why Jesus used this metaphor in the time and place he did. According to John's Gospel, Jesus had just healed a blind man on the Sabbath, and the religious elite were furious. Moreover, it was the Feast of the Dedication, the holiday we now know as Hanukkah, when Jewish people celebrate the rededication of the Temple after the victory of Judas Maccabees in 2nd century BCE. And Jesus was walking in the temple itself, the very place the Jews were venerating as symbolic of their unique covenantal relationship with God. Why call himself a shepherd in that setting? The image of a shepherd tending his flock would have been deeply ingrained in the religious imaginations of the Israelites. They knew Moses tended his father-in-law's flock before God commissioned him to lead the Israelites out of slavery. They knew King David tended sheep before ascending to the throne. They knew Yahweh as the ultimate shepherd over his flock, Israel. So I wonder if Jesus was saying something provocative rather than self-effacing when he called himself the Good Shepherd. I tend to think meek and mild when I imagine Jesus cradling lambs. 
but why would meek and mild and senseless listeners who attempted to arrest him by using this particular metaphor? Was Jesus in fact equating himself with God, the shepherd king? On the very occasion when the Jews were celebrating the supremacy of the temple and its centrality in their religious lives, was Jesus suggesting that God's presence actually dwells in the wilderness, out among the wolves, the thieves, the hirelings, and the smelly sheep? In other words, among the outcasts, the irreligious, the religiously unclean, and the politically incorrect? If so, what might this provocative teaching mean for me today? Where is my temple? Where is my wilderness? Where are the places I assume God will never dwell? I wonder what it would take to believe these words of Jesus. I know my own, and my own know me. Really? Is a life of faith really so straightforward, so certain? I'm remembering times in my life when I have not known for sure, when I have feared that I am not Jesus' own. If Jesus is so certain of my identity, so sure that I am capable of discerning his voice, I wonder what keeps me hanging in doubt and fear. I think of the barriers that lie between Jesus' assurance and my faith. Barriers of doctrine? Do I believe all the right things about God? Do I have my creeds in order? Is there some nuance of theology I'm missing? Barriers of guilt. How can I really be forgiven? Surely there must be a catch somewhere. Barriers of pain. I've cried out for my shepherd's voice many times and experienced only silence. Or if Jesus has spoken, I have not recognized him. If the metaphor isn't perfect, if it doesn't cover all circumstances for all time, if it leaves much to mystery, can I still find the courage to lean into it? I wonder who the hirelings are. In the story Jesus tells, the hired hands are pseudo-shepherds who work for personal gain, not patient love. They have no genuine stake in the well-being of the sheep. They flee at the first sign of danger. So I wonder, who pretends to love me for their own gain? Whose voices do I, need, do I heed to my detriment? What siren songs call to me, making seductive promises I shouldn't trust? Money? Success? Physical attractiveness? Prestige? Politics? Racial, cultural, or national identity? These are the biggies, easiest to name. What else? What else beckons? I wonder what shepherding is really like. I've heard sheep are dumb and skittish. I've heard they wander, get hurt easily, graze without ceasing, and bicker for no decent reason. I've heard they're stubborn but lost without a leader. So I wonder what Jesus has to put up with, shepherding me. I imagine he fights loneliness and boredom as I ignore him in favor of greener pastures. I imagine he watches the dumb, skittish, stubborn things I do, hoping it won't injure myself again. I imagine he rescues me from death all the time, while I, so often oblivious, resist his efforts tooth and nail. I wonder why the church fears this metaphor. The more I read John 10 and Psalm 23, the scarier they sound. I am astonished now at how much I have not seen in these passages. The psalmist's banqueting table is surrounded by his enemies. Still waters and green pastures lead to valleys of death. As a good shepherd, Jesus lives at the edges of polite society, out in the wild, untamed places of the world. His life remains perpetually in danger. He faces again and again the mockery of the hirelings, who consider his self-sacrificial vocation absurd. Because he's in it for the long haul with his flock, he not only frolics with lambs, but wrestles with wolves. He not only tends the wounds of his beloved rams and ewes, he buries them when their time comes. Okay, maybe I don't wonder why the church has turned this shepherd into a greeting card. It's so hard to face who he really is, to contemplate what he in fact requires of us. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another, the epistle of 1 John reminds us. How will we incarnate the love of this magnificent shepherd? 
how will we spread his goodness in the wildest of wild places, in the valleys, amongst the wolves, within the flock he hath purchased with his life? I wonder. For books this week, we review Edwina Gately's Soul Whispers. This new collection of 60 poems by Edwina Gately exemplifies her mystical bent that's tempered by the harsh realities of her ministry among the homeless, prostitutes, and pimps of Chicago, which has won her numerous awards. Today, Gately continues to write, she has published a dozen books, lead retreats for abused and marginalized women, and serve as a mother's spirit for Exodus, a program in Chicago for women in the second phase of recovery from prostitution. She also speaks and leads retreats internationally. Thus, the opening poem, Invitation, describes the paradox of hovering between heaven and earth, the former calling us outward to serve the world, and the latter calling us inward to the wondrous nothing of silence, solitude, and stillness. Nature also figures prominently as the voice of God, a whispering breeze, singing crickets, grass that sways, and birds that sing. The real surprise, when we finally understand it, is that however much we long for God, He longs for us much more. He is the one who created us, waits for us, seeks and pursues us. Our only real job is to live in the now and to cultivate awareness and receptivity, to accept that we are accepted and to experience the certitude of being loved. For more on Gately and all of her books, see her website at winagately.com. For movies this week, we reviewed Cancer, the Emperor of All Maladies. A text from Egypt 4,000 years ago lists all the known illnesses of that day, including what we now know as cancer. Under the column Treatment, the author writes, there is none. The documentarian Ken Burns has joined with PBS to make a three-episode film, six hours total, on the Pulitzer Prize-winning book by Siddhartha Mukherjee entitled The Emperor of All Maladies, A Biography of Cancer. As you would expect from Burns, the film is equal part science, medicine, history, and sociology. The story of cancer, according to the PBS website, is a story of human ingenuity, resilience, and perseverance, but also of hubris, paternalism, and misperception. It's shocking to see how we treated cancer a generation ago, and equally shocking to see the progress we've made. You can watch all three episodes for free at the PBS website. For poems this week, William Wordsworth's I Wandered Lonely as a Cloud. I wandered lonely as a cloud that floats on high or vales and hills, when all at once I saw a crowd, a host of golden daffodils, beside the lake, beneath the trees, fluttering and dancing in the breeze, continuous as the stars that shine and twinkle on the Milky Way. They stretched in never-ending line along the margin of the bay. Ten thousand saw I at a glance, tossing their heads in sprightly dance, the waves beside them danced, but they outdid the sparkling waves in glee. A poet could not be but gay in such a jocund company. I gazed and gazed, but little thought what wealth the show to me had brought. For oft when on my couch I lie, in vacant or in pensive mood, they flash upon that inward eye which is the bliss of solitude. And then my heart with pleasure fills and dances with the daffodils. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, April 26, 2015. I'm Debbie Thomas.